0: mm mm-hmm.
1: Good evening, listeners. Welcome to the Something Wicked podcast. After our last outing discussing the crazy mad world of Cliff Twemlow, we thought we'd bring things down a notch or two uh, tonight and delve into something perhaps a bit more civil, a bit more well-mannered, and that being the world of Montague Rose James, uh, M.R. James, as he's more commonly known. So we're going to be discussing the brilliant short stories the adaptations that have come from those and just really sort of eulogising about the man himself and his brilliant work. I mean, I personally would describe him as the master of the English ghost story. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Uh, would you agree with that, Dave? I would say that was perfectly put, Lee. Yeah, is there anyone the you could master. think of that could rival him for that, that title?
2: Well, I certainly don't know about the English ghostwriter. I, I suppose you could say that you've got your uh, Edgar Allan Poe's and you've got your Lovecraft, haven't sure, you, and people yeah. like that. And you've got Charles Dickens as well, uh, who's written some good little ghost stories.
1: Quite different I, to... Uh, uh,
2: absolutely, quite different. Quite hmm. different, you know, because, you know, obviously a classic ghost story is, uh, is a Christmas carol itself. A fabulous story it is, but it's much more a, a story of... Um, Redemption and inward looking about morals and one thing or another, whereas uh, MR James is is about malevolent malevolent forces.
1: Well, that's it. If you out, think about the Christmas Carol, nature. those ghosts are they've come to help Scrooge ultimately, haven't they? You know, they're they're quite benign and helpful, but uh, James's ghosts, spirits, beings, whatever you want to call them, they always are very nasty. And that is Horrible. certainly one of the aspects I love about the M.R. James stuff.
2: And uh, yeah, as
1: a devout you know, Christian, if you like, uh, which he was,
2: he's quite big on this idea that scholarly people who um, are doubting
1: Thomas's, beware, beware. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. You know, uh, you know Warning for curious is a perfect title, isn't it, to sum up yes. uh, a lot of these yes. stories
2: you can revisit the stories, can't you? This is the great thing with M.R. James's stories. You can go back to certain ones. They're such classics. And you can tell them. I mean, I've been quite fortunate in recent years to have been paid to be a storyteller and uh, to tell stories to to quite young children. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've, without any shame whatsoever, used Whistler and I'll Come to You as a ghost story to tell kids because you can adapt it slightly and move it around in different ways and uh it's brilliantly gripping you know and it's quite simple as well so the the actual detail of it you can change it a little bit because it's quite a simple story and most of his stories are quite simple stories and they tend to have one or two wonderful moments in them that you build up towards towards you know Great, proper ghost storytelling. I yeah, think.
1: I always think the finales are very satisfying. They don't, they don't sort of let you down at the end, do they? Yeah, absolutely. There tends to be, like, a horrific moment in most of the stories
2: that leave a mark, and I think that's true in the short stories um, as well as in the film adaptations, because this little moments, like, I think it's in Casting the Rooms where he puts his hand under the pillow and he feels what feels to him like a horrible old mouth or something and yeah. that's just a brilliant kind of creepy image you know And it's it's got nothing to do with the rest of the story really has it no no it's not but it's just exactly well that's very true about that mm. and that's of course not used in any of the adaptations but that's just in the original story that particular moment is a wonderful creepy moment and that's very true of the actual short stories themselves they, they tend to have maybe only three or four in total, but three or four great creepy moments in
1: them. I think that's a good thing, isn't it? He doesn't overload the stories with no with horror, but when it does come, and like you say, you, you're looking forward to it, you know something's coming. Um, I remember but, reading something Christopher Lee said, I think it was in an introduction to one of the M.R. James books I've got. He says it's like reading a newspaper, oh yeah this happened that happened then that happened and then it'll just be one line that completely takes you off in a different direction and sends a shiver down your spine yeah absolutely you know i'm thinking yeah. about that scene particularly in uh, treasure of abbott thomas where oh you think he's pulling out this bag of gold it's leathery it's wet for all intents and purposes it is the gold that he's looking for and then suddenly that line it put his arms round his neck that comes from nowhere doesn't it and really shocks you it's a brilliant bit of writing well that was absolutely when I started reading his his short stories my absolute
2: favourite was it The the Treasure of Abbot Thomas because it made me realise not only was this a great ghost story but it was it had this great little build up this great finding out through the um the stained glass windows mm. and through the secrets within the church. I thought that was a great idea for a story. It really drew me in and I thought, this guy's great. You know, he's he's got these wonderful little niches to his storytelling. I thought that was probably the best of the ones that I was reading at the time. And, and funnily enough, I found Casting the Runes slightly disappointing uh, from reading it because I, I thought Night of the Demon, the film, which is kind of how we all got into M.R. James in the first place, I think. Such a brilliant film that the actual short story didn't quite have the same impact. So it was kind of role reversal for me in in that one. But with Abbott Thomas, when I read it and then watched the um, Lawrence Gordon-Clark adaptation from the 1970s, I was initially slightly disappointed because I loved the
1: short story so much. Yeah, they do change a lot in in the adaptations, don't they, I think. And and talking about Abbott Thomas, I did read recently that that was a story that James wrote very quickly because, was it in the first collection of short stories? Uh, Yeah, they they wanted one more, the publishers, because apparently they could charge more if there were so many pages. Right. You know, in the Ah. book. So he said, all right, okay, well, I'll do this one.
0: And yet the smell was there, as intense as it had been in the well. And what is more... It came from outside the door, but with the first glimmer of dawn, it faded out and the sounds ceased too. And that convinced me that the thing or things were creatures of darkness and could not stand the daylight.
1: For anybody that's new to our podcast, uh, the Something Wicked podcast is, It's not been going too long. but This is the fifth one we've done. The reason we wanted to do this podcast is me and Dave are just interested in lots of different things, lots of esoteric stuff. Absolutely. And that's sort of the format, isn't it? We'll talk about anything that we're interested in or fascinated in because we do get to chat about things we love and MR James is certainly near the top of that list. Um, Indeed. And I think what we're trying to do also is is to,
2: uh, you know, we'll talk on serious matters, we'll talk on uh, not-so-serious matters, we'll talk on literature, we'll talk on strange, interesting British characters and maybe further afield as well. But we'll take things very seriously, but we'll also have a bloody good laugh, really. Yeah. We might even do so with the Montague's, uh, at Montague's expense at some point. But it's quite hard to, really, with MR, because it, his stuff is, I don't know, it's timeless, it's brilliant. I, I'm just such a massive fan, so it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard for me on this one to be. I can't really with MR James because it, it's really important to me. To be. <laughs>
1: Can you remember when you first heard about MR James or the first MR James thing that you came across? Right. Well, here's how I remember
2: my sort of introduction to MR James was. Firstly, I had a little uh, novella uh, of uh, two short stories, a tiny little book. It one was, these little that, booklet was little, things. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've still got it knocking about somewhere. And basically it was two stories. One was The Body Snatchers by, I think that's Robert Louis Stevenson wrote that.
1: Yeah.
2: And the other story in it was uh, The Haunted Doll's House by M.R. James. And I really enjoyed reading both stories, but I particularly liked The Haunted Doll's House. Mm. I thought that was really interesting, quite creepy. Um, But then I didn't think much about it. And then I remembered seeing again for for the first time uh, in ages the in fact i'm not sure i even did see it i remember talking in the pub with you guys about this film night of the demon and how good it was yeah and i remember saying to you all this is a bloody great film because we were always talking about classic films because we were really big into like the wicker man and don't look now and all these great british films and i would say there was this, this film that was much earlier than that in the 1950s and it was really amazing for its time because it really spoke. It, it spoke to a generation beyond
1: its years,
0: you know. Oh yeah, it's
2: a classic,
1: and, isn't it? It's very, it's, a, it's quite a cult film, and there's recently been a it is a new edition released late last year. Brilliant edition by um, Indicator it comes with a booklet. Yeah. It's got loads of extras. Um, limited edition it even comes with like a little calling card from Carswell. Absolutely, if, if you're lucky. Not all of them do apparently. No, so, no, if I believe you so. Soon after its release, yeah, uh, you got one, and I'm lucky enough to have one.
2: What really struck me when I saw, and I think I was still living at home with my mum and dad when I saw it, and it, really struck me as being this old black and white film that it was a notch up. It was kind of like Hitchcock, but with yeah, with the supernatural tagged into it, which I thought was great. I thought that was fantastic, and the whole idea of this casting the runes, passing on this, passing on the bad luck to somebody else. Wow, mm. I thought that was brilliant. And then it had a fantastic buddy in this guy called Carswell. So
1: all these things, and it was really well made. I thought it was really well made. Is it Niall McGuinness plays Carswell? Niall McGuinness. I always think Absolutely. I'm going to say Niall Quinn. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Niall McGuinness, yeah, he is great. He's great. I particularly like that scene in the where he's being the clown at the kids' party yeah. and the storm comes. It did seem different. I know what you mean when you say that. Well,
2: I think it was um, Jack tournier
1: who had. Um, he'd been
2: a big Hollywood filmmaker. He, he made the the Cat People, I believe, in the nineteen forties, which was quite a classic. You know, it's not as good a film as Night of the Demon. Night of the Demon's a really great film, and uh, and it's. I think it's really it's acknowledged as that now. But the Cat People was his at that time was his tour de force, and he was acknowledged as a a pretty great sort of noir filmmaker. And he does a he does a brilliant job on it. He does yeah. a really brilliant job on it. He keeps you in suspense. And it's been criticised greatly, I suppose, for the demon itself showing the demon. But, you know, I've grown to love the demon over the years, in Night of the demon. You know, it's a bit shit. It is a bit so there. It, it here comes the pit taking. The, the, the
1: demon is a bit shit, you know. It definitely is. I mean, I can't, I can't escape that fact. And I, I don't say it ruins the film, but it takes the seriousness away. And I think without the demon, it would have been much more scary. But what's great about it, again, and this,
2: there is kind of a legacy of films, great films that have come from short stories, and *Night of the Demon* is a great example of that because yeah. it came from the short story *Casting the Runes*,
1: which is a. A great short story. Of M. It's M. one of my favourites cast in the rooms, definitely. I love yeah, that. well,
2: controversially, you know, perhaps I would say it's not one of mine, but mm. it's it's great, it's great. But I think part of it's because I love Night of the Demon so much. Yeah. So, so much. And um, if you look at, um, there's certain other films too, like Don't Look Now, which is uh, a short story by Daphne du Maurier. She is a very underrated sort of suspense writer, oh, yeah, and yeah. Horror, horror writer. Some of her stories are great. And that story in particular... Uh, you know, Don't Now is a brilliant short story, but it is, again, a short story. It's about 40 pages long, 50 pages long, and it was made into a great film. So there's, there's
1: quite an interesting
2: history of short stories being turned into big, big successful films. Yeah, I think I a suppose. lot of the
1: Stephen King uh, short stories, mm-hmm. like Shawshank Redemption, Prime example. Stand By oh, Me, God. and uh, they... Are often the best films, aren't they? I think and they're been actually some trouble from the s- adapting Stephen King films over the years.
2: Absolutely, but th- they're from the same set of, uh, are, of short they? stories. Different seasons. They're from uh, that different seasons. Yeah. That's right. And it's uh, this at pupil, uh, Rita Hayworth, and the Shawshank Redemption, and the Body, which is Stand by Me. That's those right. th- yeah. come from that. Yeah, brilliant.
1: So your first introduction was the Haunted Dolls House, right? Um, I would say the first time I came across M.R. James, I didn't know it was M.R. James at the time, was when uh, I would have been 16 at the time, and I remember it being Christmas time, possibly Christmas Eve, and I was in my bedroom, and uh, I remember, and this this might be true, it might not be true, I remember seeing some documentary on Alec Jones. Oh, right. (laughs) It would have been around (laughs) that time. And I think after that, or perhaps it was a bit later, this thing came on, and I think it was BBC Two, probably... And it, what it was, it was Robert Powell reading the Mezzotin.
2: Oh,
1: Do you wow. Have you seen those? Sure. I haven't
2: seen those, but oh, I've heard God about God. them. They are amazing. Because, because Powell did the readings. Lee,
1: Christopher Lee did them as
2: well. He did, yeah.
1: At, at some so Powell point, did that's... them in, what well, I've since discovered in 86, that's why I know I would have been 16. So, And Christopher Lee did them in 2000, equally brilliant, but different. Yeah. But what I remember about this, uh, I remember being really gripped by the story and what especially resonated with me was those brilliant drawings you know the, oh, yeah. uh, you might have seen the black and white illustrations which show the different stages of the way the picture changes they're changes. really creepy they're a lot more well known now and i don't know if they were done specially for th- that adaptation or not thank you for that mate because
2: i haven't seen them i haven't seen the power adaptations i'm going to go onto youtube yeah. and see if I can find them yeah i'm I sure mean, they'll be on They there.
1: came out in on dvd not so long ago i think they were Bundled with the Christopher Lee ones, and, and another couple of stories from like a children's program where Michael Bryant, you know, played. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Summerton in Abbott Thomas. In. I think he's reading the Mezzotint and another one. Oh, well, uh, that's really interesting. But I remember as a kid, you know, I was interested in ghost stories. You know, even at primary school, I don't know particularly where that came from. But I remember having this this book, and I don't know if it was the Fontana book of ghost stories. Have you heard of those? Or? Oh yeah, I've... this is the
2: real key, and and this is what it's all about, really, with M.R. James and with other certain writers, British writers and British sensibilities, in British horror. So if you look at Demoliers, don't look now. If you look at, uh, you look at say Dracula, you look at Frankenstein but if you look at the particular ghost stories of, of MR james and some of the others the british ghost story is all about that moment that spine tingling fucking moment you know that you that you're anticipating it's all about the anticipation and when it delivers yeah you know that's why the, the woman in black is so effective oh because yeah when that delivers and she's you know there's no doubt she's Incredibly influenced by mr James in her story writing, yeah. she's got to be. You Have know, you read it? I've 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 read bits of it, I've read parts of it, I've heard an audio book of it. So you know, I find it very good, and I found I thought the I thought the adaptation on ITV was very good. Not so oh, sure yeah, about. That the great. Yeah. The I mean, the, the, the film's sort of,
1: good. I do think the, the film has got some genuinely scary bits. Yeah, it. it has. I just think it's so, it's just a little bit
2: overemphasized. You know, whereas the I just the
1: adaptation liked, uh, that ITV did is better, I think. It's great. But I love those British TV adaptations of things from the mm. 70s and 80s.
2: Slow and ponderous.
1: Yeah. You know? But the book, <laughs> yeah. Dave, I would recommend the book wholeheartedly. I mean, I think I possibly bought it when I was in Whitby. That's where it's sort of set, in the, in the North East. And uh, I couldn't get on with it at first, I have to admit. There's a bit of preamble with Arthur Kipps and his family at Christmas, but then he starts to tell the story and then it, it moves to yeah. the story, flashback form, if you want to call it that. There are just some absolutely dreadfully scary bits in it.
2: I certainly think that maybe um, the Woman in Black is is something that we might discuss it in the future, it may, maybe in one of our little uh, our little passionate sideline episodes, perhaps as well. Yeah. Uh, because um, it just alone a standalone ghost story, it is brilliant. Mm. You know, in the same way that I feel also that Don't Look Now is a standalone brilliant ghost yeah, I've story. I've never read that one. It's a great little short yeah. story, and I'd really recommend it, Lee. And any, any listeners out there, I would we, we, well, we both wholeheartedly recommend Daphne du Maurier's Don't Look Now and uh, Susan Hill's The Woman in Black. And they're both brilliant. But can I just say something, Lee? What you were saying there about finding it hard to get into at first is very interesting because that equates so well to uh, M.R. his work. I think sometimes when you first get hold of a volume of his short stories, you can find it very hard to get into for modern modern literature standards you know it's kind of very old worldy it's a bit sluggish and it's dealing with things that perhaps
1: and so don't know much certain, about you know you haven't no, the references exactly. have you
2: the, some of the phrasing and some of the intonation and some of the um some of the reference point is quite baffling at first once you get through
1: that once you get into the stories, you realise you're you're in you're in for a treat. Really I in for a treat. I think the language is one of the things I really enjoy about it. You know, that sort of the way that people talk this, this old school, very posh, formal, polite way of speaking. Absolutely, um, and and I love the way he got away with retelling
2: the same story
1: basically. He so did. Many and times. I mean, people do say this, and he says it himself. And it's funny. That but he it's mentioned beautifully that- done. Yeah, you mentioned the Dolls House as your introduction, and he he almost apologises for the Dolls House. I know it's just a reworking <laughs> of the Mesotin, but it has got different elements to it. I mean, and it's got it's got different
2: devices. Not a Mesotin; it's a Dolls House. But the mezzotint is fantastic. I mean, I plagiarised the mezzotint with my short storytelling. You know, to do with this idea of a, a witch c- coming through the back. Of this painting towards this female face, related to a painting at an actual stately home, where I was telling the story, and it frightened the living daylights out of the kids. Mm. But it was basically the the model of the you know the model of the story was the mesotin. The idea of something coming out of the painting is basically the mesotin. Something well, emerging. Funnily enough,
1: it. someone else mentioned another uh, another story that's similar to the mesotin. I don't know if you've read the Stephen King anthology Four Past Midnight. It's one of his more
2: Oh, yeah. Modern ones.
1: I I didn't really enjoy it. It came out in the 90s, which wasn't his best period for me. But there's a story called The Sun Dog, which is about this Polaroid photo where this dog starts moving towards it and eventually, I think, comes out of the, the photo.
2: And, and I think what's interesting is that when you said about watching Robert Powell read the Mesotin, using those images, being pretty bloody frightening, and not really then for, for years thinking about who wrote that story or what have you until years later when we all hooked up and we all mm. got into it, that was the the same truth about Night of the Demon. Because when I, when I saw Night of the Demon, I must have been about 17, 18. I had no idea who had written it. You know, I just thought it was a great, quirky, unusual British film ahead of its time and and creepy and exciting with a great twist and all that. And it wasn't until years later then that I read The Haunted Doll's House. And then somehow it, I'm sure it was after talking about Night of the Demon to you guys, guys that I made the connection with The Haunted Doll's House. Because right. it wasn't until seeing, I think, Night of the Demon again that I realized, oh, bloody hell, I've already read one of his short stories. And then we were all together in Scotland the following year. And we we were in Wigtown, which is a, a book place, isn't it, in, in uh, Dumfries and Galloway. And we then unearthed a copy of his short stories, you know, hmm. thin paper, small print, you know what I mean? <laughs> And it, it, a thick book about you know 1, thousand fifteen hundred pages in it, so it had lots and lots of his short stories. Yeah, and one of which not only was um, the uh, treasure of Abbot Thomas, but there was also Lost Hearts, which we need to come to and talk about as well. Yeah, 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 and that we was, really need to talk about.
1: Funnily enough, when I was saying about the treasure of Abbot Thomas was sort of an add-on to his first collection. He didn't even want Lost Hearts in there. Wow, which uh, defies wow. belief, really, doesn't it? Because it's a brilliant belief. story. If there's one story that really, if you
2: read it, has a big impact, it is Lost Hearts uh, because it is such a nasty, dark. It's a fucking nasty little story. It really
1: is, and so many it, of them are though. And that, that is are? definitely something I love about him. He doesn't hold back. No, you know his ghosts and beings. They are terrifying, and they don't. They don't let people off, do you? You know, even when Paxton puts puts back the uh, crown in uh, warning to the curious, he still gets killed. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> no, no, no second chances. There's no forgiveness. No. There's
2: no no. There's no relent. And what he does very well, actually, is this idea, of this prime sort of primordial, primeval kind of instinct, the fear of being chased the fear of the unknown chasing you, the fear of someone who is a little bit crazed when caught you on the hop, you're not in the mood for this and you'll feel like you're being followed by someone. It's, it's kind of like the idea of the nutter on the bus in a way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it does do that really well. And you, that comes across so well in Warning to the Curious that this nasty nutter chasing you and then suddenly you feel like your your feet are in quicksand, and you know, or you've got your feet are in custard, yeah. and you're trying to drag yourself back home away from this very
1: scary individual. Yeah. brilliant. That's brilliant. And often people say that these characters deserve what they get. They're nosy, they're arrogant, they're greedy, so they go after treasure and stuff, so they get what they deserve. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think sometimes in the adaptations they are shown to have negative traits, but in the stories they're quite innocent people, really, aren't they? Well, if you think about it in Whistle and I'll Come To You,
2: it, it, he is kind of pompous and, and arrogant, but his arrogance is simply that he doesn't believe in suspicion. He believes in science and not superstition. And he, he pooh poos the idea of superstition. And he, he gets absolutely ter- terrorised for his <laughs> for
1: his disbelief. Yeah the, yeah, the punishment doesn't really fit the crime of it finding doesn't... a whistle and blowing it. I mean, he's... It's a bit like... He's, he, um, is a, he is hoarding portrayal of him is very prideful and smug and uh exactly especially when he's replaying that scene in his head about how he uh, he outmaneuvered the colonel with his uh, rational thinking and clever lines yeah, yeah. but in this story itself the original story is, is um uh, he's described as quite henpecked, isn't he um yeah parkins and uh yeah. his friends take the piss out of him a bit particularly one yeah. of them and uh, so he doesn't seem like he deserves what he gets and
2: well, he's a, he's, a sad, he's a sad figure, he? Really. Yeah, he's he
1: does, a lonely he figure, and a lot
2: he's, of them are. I think a lot of them... He's got his nose in a book all the time. He never takes mm. any holidays. He's sort of forced into going on a little sort of... I think in the, I think in the original story, it's... Um, does he actually go on a golfing holiday? or yeah. He attempts to go on a golfing holiday, which, of course, in any of the adaptations, that, they, they take the whole golf idea out yeah, of the whole yeah. equation. And uh, he's basically a bit of a nerd. This very small but very scary story... Is enabled hugely by the fact that Michael Horton plays the character with great eccentricity, mumbling and stumbling to himself, and you know, it's that um, scene when he looking very
1: ch- happy with himself when yeah. he's had a thought in his head. But that's his one moment of glory, isn't it, out of the yeah. whole episode? Because the rest of the episode we see him really awkward. He, he doesn't know how to talk to people. No, exactly. That's it
2: just genius. He's lonely. It's wonderful what it does there because whatever is explained in the actual short story, Horden just shows it on screen. And again, it goes back to this whole kind of 1970s filmmaking, 1980s television making anyway, which is very slow. Quite often there's no music. There's just strange eccentricities going on there, you
1: know. You can't the, you know, recreate that now, can you? Because I, I was thinking about this, you know, uh, because they did bring back the ghost story for Christmas in uh, 2005,
2: 2006
1: when they made yeah. uh, A View from a Hill. and, yeah. and That wasn't 13. too bad. That nope. was a good adaptation, but yeah. and it is a good story, yeah. There's that 70s Indeed. tone, and you you, know, these, there's no you, way you can really recreate that. It's not the fault of any can't. filmmaker now. You can't recreate 70s TV just as you can't recreate
2: 70s filmmaking. And, you know, there's some of the greatest things that took place in, you know, you're never going to be able to recreate The Godfather, mm. you know, or The of Connection, TV, or, yeah. or The Exorcist. And in this country, you're really going to, you're just not going to be able to remake Don't Look Now, and you're not going to to like The Wicker Man, are you? No. So it's really, really, and they've tried, and it's been fucking disastrous. I mean... I'm sorry, but the Wicker Tree was just. Uh, oh, I've not, not seen it. I didn't want to see it. I think the dear, trailer. Dear God, dear uh, God. It was off. fucking dire, man. And there was a, you know, there was an t- appalling remake of the Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. God. This is a don't remake class. And, and it goes for MR James. It goes, in a way, has to be said, really, for when you have a classic version of Whistle I'll come to you that's been so brilliantly done that Michael Horden and um, uh, Jonathan um, Miller, Hamlet, yeah, Miller yeah. thank you. Jonathan Miller did such a brilliant job in the, in such a minimal way to make it as creepy as possible. We, did we need the John Hurt version in the 2000s? You know what, Dave? I like it's that. It's not bad. I know it's not, Lee. I agree with you. It's not bad.
1: Because, you know, that has got huge criticism because it's not faithful to the story. And it does make me think, why on earth did they call it Whistle and I Come To You? Because fans of Whistle and I Come To You are obviously going to be pissed off or a bit irritated that it doesn't have a whistle and it's completely different. And people that don't know the story, they won't associate Whistle I Come To You with anything. So why call it that? I don't really know why I did that. But on its own, as a standalone piece, I really like it.
2: I think you've you've nailed it there, mate, really. I think that's, that's kind of the issue, really. It's a good, it's a great little horror story, but it's not Whistle. And possibly that's it for me. I need to go back to it and watch it again, if I'm being honest. Yeah,
1: it's a good ghost story. I mean, if you think about what followed that, which...
2: <laughs>
1: oh, you know, it was anticipated and we were really excited about it. The track take mid-off,
2: you know, Gatiss
1: is doing an MR James. Everything looks perfect, doesn't it? Because he's a massive fan and I, I do love Gatiss.
2: Yeah.
1: I just thought it was rubbish. I, I really did. I mean, what I, did I you think I don't think he was of it was that bad. I thought it had some merit, to be honest. Which, I which I bits? Tell me.
2: I thought, I thought the very end was quite good. There was some sort of CGI... Horrific moment at the end of it, which was quite good. But it it, it tried to have a little humorous element in it that didn't quite. No. that was pretty poor, to be honest.
1: Yeah.
2: And Gate it shouldn't have gone there with that, really.
1: And they moved it to the fifties, which I didn't like. I didn't. See yeah, the trailer, no. yeah.
2: The view from the hill adaptation was quite good. You know, it, it had was, some merit. But,
1: but again,
2: it's difficult when you've read the story first, and your imagination is always is better than mm. what can be conjured up in a fairly low budget tv production this is the problem isn't it and sometimes it's better to see an adaptation first before then reading the story because you know quite often when you read the story first what what goes on inside your head is 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 much better than what is delivered you know and
1: and that's that's one of james on the screen big skills wasn't it it was it was stimulating your imagination is it the,
2: the quite small Mr. James story called The Rose Garden where the one moment in it that just lingers in your head is that when the person looks across the flora and fauna uh, into, the, into the woodland in the garden, they see a decaying head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's things like that that are brilliant, you know what I mean? And he does it out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. when, he, when he says mm-hmm. it, and that's what's great about his writing. Fantastic yeah. when he does stuff like that. And he does have really original concepts. Like That's Ashton. what I
1: mean. His imagination was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, what I find about the MR James stories is that, or why I like them so much, is that I find them very convincing, even though I don't believe yeah. in the supernatural. It's, yeah, yeah the convincing because he's an ex- he was an expert in medieval history and archaeology and churches and abbeys um, myths and legends and pretty much everything he wrote about to set the set the scene of the ghost story and it, it's those elements
2: and he writes with this conviction of the understanding of when he's when he's talking about the stalls of barchester cathedral for example he's giving you all the detail when he's doing the uh, the the, uh, the abbot um, the treasure of abbot thomas he gives you lots of detail about mm. yeah. it tells you oh yeah this guy knows about this event this happening and it's and it's very and it's quite original and certainly for the time it must have been seriously original like you know C- canon alberic's scrapbook again his first story Brilliant. You know yeah. that's really quite original because, you know, the well, it's, a, idea... it's a
1: real church, isn't it? I think that's where yeah. it's set in France.
2: But there's I think the subtlety of it though just that the image, the image in the scrapbook being so oh, yeah. horrific and so disturbing. I
1: love you know, that that, it's, gr- that haunting of the past or the past that we don't know about exactly. that is really powerful. It's when these things what... did go on, you know, witchcraft yeah. and the, and the dark ages and all that, that really all these mysteries Come from, and the fact that they're still about, or they linger, or they can be uh, exactly. provoked into into appearing again.
2: Oh, absolutely, mm. and and then there's a lot of you know you, you know you go back to casting the runes again you know quite obviously the carzor figure is a is a kind of a- Aleister Crowley figure and it's very very convincing it, it, it's you know it's as convincing a sort of occult, a cult a, a, a cult figure as um, Macarta in uh, The Devil Rides Out mm-hmm. but you know. The Devil Rides Out is a great romp and a great story, and I love it. I absolutely love it, and I love the idea of the MacArthur character and the Count Dorishlow and everything, but it's,
1: you know... It doesn't seem as real as an MRJ. It's story, not, it's yeah.
2: not. When you read that story, and when you get a situation where the, the writer... Is using kind of quite stereotypical figures like Rex Van Ren, who's this tough guy, and these kind. We Dennis Wheatley um, doesn't quite have. Well, he, d- he just doesn't have the skills of Mr. James, does he? No, you know, no. he, he would have said that himself, though. Dennis Wheatley would have said that himself. You yeah. read it? I've read quite a bit of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've not read all of it, but it's kind of like a. It's a xenophobe's delight, mate. It's pretty racist. Yeah. I yeah. it's a shame because I love the film. You know, I absolutely love the film. I love the MacArthur character, Charles Gray as MacArthur. Hello, I'm MacArthur. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, and uh, Target himself, what's his name from Emmerdale? Uh, Patrick (laughs) uh, Moa. Patrick Moa. Patrick Moa being possessed by the devil. You know, God's truth, I can't get away from him. Uh, It's good fun. It's great fun. And it is quite, he's got some generally great moments in it. And it is a real play on the whole Alistair Crowley thing you know this idea of the occult the dark deep occult taking over possessing you you know and then you've you know they they actually raise the goat of mendez the devil himself oh yeah classic line that in the woods you know he appears in the woods out of nowhere wonderful i think it's a brilliant little scene that works so well yeah so it's great it's a great story it's a great romp but what you've got to remember i suppose with mr james is it he wrote, God knows how many short stories with a multitude of different ideas going on there, and yes. the Devil, Devil Devil Rise out is one novel, you know. To I me, mean? yeah. So his sort of grasp on the subtleties of the ghost story was in a different league, really, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely. Have you? I mean, I
2: don't know if we've mentioned this, but have you got a favourite
1: of uh, his stories?
2: Well, I think The Treasure of Abbot Thomas, and I think Lost Hearts. Yeah, do a top three. And I think,
1: I, I would say, Canon Albaric's scrapbook, I think. Yes, a lot of people... I mean, you know Robert Parry, Robert Lloyd Parry? That's his favourite. Yeah. Oh, and I did love
2: The Ash Tree. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Ash Tree's great. And actually, the adaptation isn't
1: bad. It's a, it's very slow. Oh, it, it is, but I watched that uh, last night, actually. Uh, just reminding myself of it. And it's, but it, the, it's really disturbing, isn't it? These, the ending the is... The spider brilliant. babies and... The spider babies. You don't see that coming, do you? That is, like, that is, really froze you.
2: That is right up there with the end of Don't Look Now. Pure yeah. creepiness. Yeah. You know, that really is creepy.
1: I presume the story or, or the inference is that she has, because she's moved from the grave, hasn't she, that she was buried in, into the ash tree. Yes. Has she mated with spiders or something that she's found in the tree? <laughs> I mean, that... <laughs> it's so fucked <laughs> up, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's never explained fully, but... no that to me would be what the spider babies are about it's very fucked up the shot in the adaptation is she looks like she's giving birth yeah, and she's yeah. sat there with her legs open whereas in this story it doesn't describe her as that uh no. in that position no. but i well, think I, that was a good touch that
2: i think so and, and again it, there is license isn't there there is mm. license in his stories to you know the adaptations of them and you know as I say, I've done it verbally myself, you know, when telling the stories to, to kids. I've, I've changed them slightly and used then certain elements. So you would say to your top three, Dave, are the Oh, God. But then I'm already thinking again, though, yeah, the... Treasure and Lost Park. But, but I'm also thinking, you know, the problem is when you say, what's your top three, it's really difficult because when I first read View, uh, View from a Hill, the idea of binoculars, you look through binoculars and seeing the past, I mean, that's genius. Mm. I mean, he had some great devices in his stories, didn't he? The thing is, you can't go back to sort of discovering them for the first time or reading the certain stories for the first time and go, wow, yeah. that's a great little story. I love that. And that's such a dark fucking finish to the story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like... Too right. I mean, that's why I loved Amit Thomas, because he goes through all this elaborate... Research. He's kind of like Indi- the Indiana Jones of the theology world, right? <laughs> yeah. Trying to figure out how to get this fucking treasure. And then when he discovers it, this fucking dark demon just fucks him over. <laughs> what is it supposed to be? Uh, it's just what? a malevolent fucking nasty dark
1: Short thing with arms. Yeah. Bastard. Just comes <laughs> on I'll kill you Freak. now. Freak it's of like, nature.
2: It's like... Um,
1: I mean, I shouldn't have put you on the spot there because I don't know if I could pick my top three. I'd probably put the Metsitin in there. Uh, And another one that I really like and you might not think of is uh, A Disappearance and an Appearance. Oh, yeah, that is great. I loved the Punch and Judy where he's running amok in in the guy's dream and uh, the the sort of shock hanging that happens in the Punch and Judy stall. I Uh, I
2: think this is what's interesting really about about when we're saying he repeats the same story but what he does do is there is there is a similar story thread quite often which is curious man goes searching for some antiquity and ends up being fucked over by it right (laughs) by the by the dark demons that come out of it Mm. but the devices that he uses in all these different in in these in if you like the same story are brilliant so you keep going back. So there is of course there's a big similarity between Missile I've Come to and a warning to the curious. And the same with Treasure Babbitt Thomas and all that. It is a curious, scholarly man goes looking for something and gets fucked over. Mm-hmm. But it's the devices, it's the devices he uses all the time. Same again with you know haunted dolls house again, you know, so many examples, right? But the devices are different and clever that then there are stories that aren't down that avenue i suppose you could argue but you know lost Hearts is is about um it is again though the, someone who's curious about something in you know in history he's yeah, got an obsession his obsession and he's, he he wants to you know but it's slightly different because he is basically this self-obsessed bastard who wants to live forever and and the way he does it is by murdering children You know, and that when I read that story, I thought, "My God, this guy's a dark bastard." That's
1: the thing, isn't it? It it does surprise you, given that these ghost stories were written like a century ago. Exactly, he is really, really dark. And
2: even today, if you remade that now, I mean, you could you could very, uh, I mean, Lost Hearts in particular, you could really remake that for the BBC, couldn't you? A Sunday night special or something in two parts. I don't know, but you could redo it. It would
1: still be a very dark, very very creepy. Yeah, they, they would story. probably have to tone it down because probably I think would have gone that way a bit, haven't we? With, we have uh, gone that way, not wanting yeah. to upset anyone.
2: Well, we have gone that way, and we're not wanting to upset anyone because it is really about the corruption and the abuse of children. That mm. story, you know, it's about the corruption of innocence. It's about taking hold of innocence and destroying it,
0: yeah.
2: and then and ultimately, you know. Uh, innocence, I suppose, wins, but but uh, only for that particular child, you know. And you know, I'm getting a bit deep on this, but it is a very, very dark, very dark story. And I'm sure that he, you know, did that purely to terrify the life out of these students at Cambridge mm. who were uh, missing uh, Peter and Meta and, and Nanny at home, mm. but uh, were there. You know, fondling each other's testicles in the dorms, you know, for comfort and terrified that maybe M.R. James, the housemaster, might come in and rip out their fucking heart so he could live forever Mm. at night. So he, he did, you know, he obviously used, I mean, quite a lot of his stories were there to scare the living daylights out of his students. You know, yeah. they loved that. They
1: wanted him to tell them. It's interesting that he didn't seem to take them that seriously. He just saw them as a bit of entertainment. Um, he was more interested in the other things that he wrote about, you know, the scholarly academic stuff. Sure. And he's sort of quite dismissive in a way of his own stories. And uh...
2: well, he, well, he was really, I suppose, was dismissive of his, of his own genius because, and I'm sure if, as he would have believed that his spirit would live on, that he'd be looking down now, shaking his head thinking Jesus they they only know me for this They only know me for telling these bloody ghost stories. True, yes. Not my serious work. Not what I was really about, which is my theology. What
1: what you do appreciate from reading the stories is his knowledge of these other subjects, and uh, it probably did prompt people onto trying to find his writings on medieval history and archaeology, and uh, of course, exactly. Uh, And that that understanding
2: of his learnedness, if you like, you know, which he plays upon throughout his stories is a great hook in the stories. You automatically, when reading it, realise you're dealing with a very intelligent person who's written it. So therefore it makes the stories more compelling and it makes them seem, there seems to be more reality in the story because of all the
1: history that he embeds in the story. Mm. Yeah. Do you think you know the adaptations better than you know the actual stories? Because I think I, I have to confess that I probably do. Oh, oh yeah. Fucking mm. hell, yeah. Did you see them? any of them in the 70s when they, I mean, you would have been too young, I imagine? Or... I sort of remember them, but I remember
2: The Monkey's Paw, yes. which I'm not sure was, an, was, a, was a BBC adaptation. I could be right or right, could be wrong. I remember that being very frightening. Uh, was never allowed to watch because I had a very, very overactive imagination and would have been terrified. And I think The Signalman, the Charles Dickens story that was done, which was, was done. Was that
1: about 75, 76, that one?
2: I think so, yeah. I
1: think the first four were M.R. James ones and then the they had a break or in between them was the signalman yes be wrong and then they ended up the ghost story for christmas series with a couple of completely different ones i can't i don't know who actually wrote them they may have <clears> been <throat> just tv writers uh, the ice house and uh it's st- stigma and they're What's just it? fucking nowhere near the same no no they're not it's kind of
2: like when you watch things as well like the stone tapes nigel neal and all that isn't that as well you know it's and crow and things Yeah, you know, and i've got a Huge respect for Nigel Neal, you know, the quite a mass stuff, and beasts. he's a mag- beast. Well, that's what I mean. So, no, I said call it the crow, didn't I? I? Meant beasts. Yeah, that's what it was called, beasts, because it was basically about a fucking giant crow in someone's living room with an overact. Was that the set? one with Simon McCorkindale? Fucking hell! What a performance! <laughs> what a palaver! Simon McCorkindale's on set. Yeah, but the truth of the matter is, is that James's story is a class, absolute class, and you know. None more so, I would say. The best of them all, in my opinion, of the 1970s Ghost Stories for Christmas is Mm. A Warning to the Curious. That is brilliant. Yes. I've watched it so many times. I I love it. it. I watched it tonight, eh? Dave. Oh, man. I mean, Peter Vaughan and Clive Swift, they're so good in it. It's so creepy. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Mm. Lawrence Gordon-Clark does such a beautiful job on it as a film director. Please, people, if you're listening to this out there, have a watch of that. It's so good. You know, uh, watch Jonathan Miller's Whistle Now come to you and you'll be a fan of M.R. James forever. You really will. You go,
1: read the stories
2: then and you'll understand.
1: What I really love about Warning, well, one one of the things I love about it is that I found myself on a beach in Norfolk
2: Oh wow! Um,
1: and I suddenly realised I was on the beach that the the actually oh, filmed oh, on Holcomb Hulcom, Beach, I think it's called. How cool! I've I've looked at the pictures of it online. On and my, on what you most do time. is to get to the beach is you you walk through the woods. Oh, and brilliant! When I got back, I realised that the the woods were the ones that they actually filmed in.
2: Oh, brilliant!
1: Absolutely, and it, it's a very weird beach because it you have to go through these these woods. And the distance from the from the edge of the beach to the sea is it's like a mile, you know. You're walking for ages when the tides yeah. out. I mean, I've never considered a beach to be creepy until I saw M.R. James stuff, you know. And yeah, he's done yeah, it a couple yeah. of times, hasn't he? In Whistle and uh, Warning, uh, he really does that out of season bleakness of a beach brilliantly.
2: It's really good you say that because thinking about the ash tree, thinking about certain stories. It defies the stereotype of the ghost story being about a windy night where there's thunder and lightning, you know, that all mm. kind of like you've got to set the, set the scene in a kind of RKO 1930s horror film or a hammer horror film. Mr. James' stories quite often are on a kind of still, calm spring day where nothing much is happening. That's brilliant a brilliant point. In a bleak kind of setting. And it's not, and it might be a beautiful, bright, cold, Day, but then something just happens, and it's the sort of that just something happening, the the strange twist of fate. Oh, brilliant, wonderful! That resonates through his his stuff. I think really does. That and and there being maybe three three points in the story that really make you feel uneasy. Yeah, you know, it's all about it's 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 the subtle knife, isn't it? Yes, that's what it is. His, his work.
1: And it's so good. It's so good. But the thing about Warners for Curious, which I really like, is is the build-up to the mystery. So you've got Paxton arriving at Seaberg with a vague plan of finding this crown. And he's, he, it's only when he talks to the locals and finds out a bit more that he starts to understand where this <gasps> crown might be. You know, he finds out a bit more. He finds out about the Agars. And it, it's those scenes. I love the scene with the vicar. Absolutely love the, it. I love yeah. the fact that there's a graveyard near a beach.
2: Oh, fantastic! It and looks amazing. And then he amazing. goes into
1: that that weird bric-a-brac shop where they've got like the body or the skeleton of somebody that's been a human sacrifice, <laughs> of all things. So yeah. he gets his maps and he gets the book and he starts to solve the mystery. But I've never really understood how he knew where to dig. I don't think that is pointed out in the story itself or the adaptation, because <laughs> it's a bit. Yeah, it's a bit vague. bit, it's a bit lucky vague. that he hits on that hill and uh, <laughs> finds that finds that crown. What I think is really rewarding as
2: well about it is when you do introduce it to somebody. You know, I remember a few Christmases ago, my sister-in-law was here, and I was chatting about it—the uh, idea of the ghost story for Christmas with her with my wife and then uh, we put a warning to the curious on and they both loved it you know what i mean and uh, i remember like my sister-in-law louise saying oh, i love this kind of stuff you got any more got any more so i showed her i think whistle and i'll come to you then or i think it was Oh lost hearts i think and she mm. was just totally hooked you know then mm. i think i think jackie my wife had already seen like various ones but her sister lou hadn't and so it's really nice seeing people See it for the first time. Yeah, get it. You know, and that was what was nice about for us, really, because it was again this kind of voyage discovery. And I suppose the link there is like the, with the Cliff Twemlow podcast that we did, is that you, you're discovering something new. You know, and mm. it's like it's like little presents all the time. you get mm. these little presents.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, Mr. James's case, you've got all these great little stories, so we're all reading the stories, and uh, then there's all these adaptations, and then you've got a place like the Corner House where all of a sudden they're showing
1: his work and the director of the TV adaptations is there. Oh, yeah. Tell so, us about that. You met him, didn't you? Oh, that was really good, mm. really
2: lovely, because I had a, quite a good chat with him, really, and, it, and uh, we, we discussed Night of the Demon, because he did an adaptation on ITV of Casting the Runes, Oh, was which, that
1: him? I didn't know that
2: was him. I believe so, yeah. Mm. It, it is It is him, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, from what from my memory of the conversation. And it's great because you've got Ian Cuthbertson as bloody um, Carswell. He's uh, great. Budget,
0: budget. Budget.
2: He did um, Children of the Stones and things like that. It was brilliant, you know. He could play dark characters really well. But it just doesn't live up to Night of the Demon. And, he, and Lawrence Gunn-Kar, being the lovely, modest man that he is, was very honest about that. He said, oh, you know, Jack Tournier, Night of the Demon, what a film. Classic. But I think I'm right in saying that the two films we saw that day were Lost Hearts and The Ash Tree. And I remember thinking they were both fantastic, but I wish I'd had a conversation with him about the making of Warning to the Curious because yeah. it, that's his masterpiece. It yeah. is,
0: it's brilliant. Mm. Oh, hello. Can I help you? No digging here. I beg your pardon. No digging here. What do you mean, no digging here? I have permission from the landlord. No. Well, if you want to stand about all day, that's your affair. Look, you stupido! I said I'd got permission. Now get out, or I'll... I'll get you locked up.
1: It's great that location hunting and um, Robert Lloyd Parry, who we have talked about, who does the performances, the live yeah, performances. The... He says he does it as a bit of a hobby. You know, he goes and tries to find the locations and. Uh, just sort Good of for him! Fantastic. Churches,
2: he, he, he's so dedicated to the legacy of Mr. James, what mm. he does, and and the Nunkey Theatre. Yeah. That uh, I mean, I, I would make friends with Nunky Theatre, and, and whenever it comes around, go and see him because he's really brilliant at it. He's brilliant at doing. Yeah. He becomes, he's the incarnation of uh, Mr. James,
1: really. Mm. And it's a real flavour of what the what the short stories are about. But funnily enough, uh, I didn't realise this until now, where I'm doing this podcast, I'm sat in my loft at home and right in front of me are four pictures on the wall of the Robert Lloyd Parry posters, which he uses Brilliant. to advertise his, his shows. So I've got Count Magnus, I've got Oh Whistler, I'll Come To You, Casting the Runes, Warning for the Curious... I got these off Robert himself, so... Uh, wow. I didn't know you'd seen so many, Lee, to be honest with no, you. No, I haven't I... seen... I've, I've seen Robert twice. Right. Once was with you in Salford, and the second time I was in Bury. Uh, when he did... I think he did casting the Runes, which was a great Oh, thrill, Ace, yeah. Because uh, I don't Brilliant. think he does that much.
2: I think you did tell me, Lee, but I wanted to, I'm i going to throw it back at you. Tell me again your top three Mr. James stories.
1: I'd say the Mezzotin, which... I know a lot of people are a bit lukewarm about, but possibly the reason I I like it is because it was my first memory of M.R. James. Right. I would say um, A Disappearance and an Appearance.
2: Yeah, fantastic, yeah. I
1: do like A Neighbour's Landmark, which is the one about the the sort of witch in the field, or the woods. Which is great. Jeez, oh, that's great. I think I agree. Forgotten about, about Treasure that? Treasure of Robert Thomas because there's lots to
2: that story. That's one I would be excited about the remaking of because I think there's a lot. And and I'm not. I don't want to dismiss Lawrence Gordon Clark because he's great and and he, he did a good job on that. Don't get me wrong. But but he, it could be remade that one. That and Lost Hearts could be remade again as well mm. because both of them have got like a real <coughs> strength in the storytelling. I wouldn't want. I wouldn't necessarily want them to remake *Casting the Runes, even though it's a really strong story and it's a brilliant idea. It's just because I think Night of the Demon is a, is a classic. That's yeah, it. Yeah. But talking of that, again, your favourite adaptations,
1: Lee? Well, uh, that's a good question, and I'm glad you've asked it, Dave. Uh, I would definitely say Whistle, mm-hmm. the, the 68 one. That's, my, that's number point, one. Miles ahead, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Warning to the Curious. Boop. Number two. Uh, Number three is a bit tricky. I do like stalls.
2: Ooh, yeah. Robin Hardy. That's uh, yeah. his uh Robert Hardy rather at his That's uh, right, yeah.
1: Um we haven't talked about that one, have we actually? But No to, we haven't but just to finish, I'd probably say Treasure of Abbott Thomas. Fair play, mate. Fair and play. I just love the slab cake scene. I don't know if you remember that in the beginning. Where they're, oh yeah, are yeah, All yeah. asking for slab cake. I, I do <coughs>
2: like the sort of uh, add-ons to that, where the debunking of the seances and stuff. Yeah, I think
1: that's to set up uh, Somerton as as a man. Uh, of absolutely, science, isn't it? Very clever that I yeah. thought that was
2: really good. And again, you know, I have to say, I think Lawrence Gordon Clark is, is a G. a a g. You know, as the modern parlour says, you're a G, Lawrence Gun clark mm. You know, he is a genius. I think he was brilliant because he took hold of these stories and he did a. He must have had a really shitty little budget even then mm. to make them. And he did a really good job and he did it on subtlety. He did
1: loads of other good stuff. I mean, I was surprised to learn that he did Harry's game. Oh,
2: yeah. He was which great. was a great...
1: Um, Mini-series, wasn't it? I
2: wish you were with me when we saw him Lee, because you, you, you'd have really liked him such a lovely man, really modest spoke so well of the people he worked with spoke so well of Robert Hardy he kept calling him Robin he's known as Robin in, in real life Robert, or was mm. you know. he's just, he loved M.R. James stories it's just, just shone through mm. in the conversations we had but yeah. I would say are we leaving um, Night and the Demon out of the equation?
1: I'd say no So with I would any M.R. James adaptation
2: so I would say for me number one is is Night of the Demon because it's just it's just an amazing film I think.
1: Yeah, I didn't really consider that one actually. I mean, now that you've said we include it, that might so, be my top three. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I I thought it might have been, so perhaps I'm a bit unfair. So
2: let's exclude Night of the Demon.
1: No, no, you shouldn't have to, Dave. It's no, no, adaptation. let's
2: do let's do that because mm. we both agree Night of the Demon is kind of a standalone kind of. It's a British masterpiece, isn't it, as a film? You know, it's a cinema film. It was great. And it's the kind of link to everything else. It really captured everybody's imagination. It captured Rob's and Gareth's and Gav's and yourselves and mine. But we all watched it and, yeah, it was brilliant. And then I think it all got everyone into into the stories too. And then that, as a consequence, got everyone into the the ghost stories for Christmas. Brilliant,
1: you know. Mm. So do you think the first time you actually read a mr James was probably in the 2000s then? Because a lot of people discovered his stories in as teenagers, didn't they? Uh... Probably would have been somewhere between
2: 2001 and 2002. But it definitely all came through the discussions of Night of the Demon in the pub. And then I watched it and I thought, wow, this is great. This is great. And next thing you know there was adaptation mr james adaptations at the corner house so we might have even seen them before getting uh, getting the books right, believe or not.
1: right i imagine those adaptations in the 70s were repeated in the 80s because i do have a vague memory of Well, it's
2: really interesting that you specifically remember watching, like, the Mezzotint. I know that was a storytelling. And I seem to sort of vaguely remember seeing them. But I was very susceptible to scary things as a kid. So I probably wouldn't have been allowed to watch them. I go back to it again. The one that really sort of sticks out was The Monkey's Paw. And that, of course, isn't an M.R. James story. A very creepy, spooky little story it is, but it's not M.R. James. And I don't remember anything about the M.R. James stories. It's funny, isn't
1: it? We didn't know about them. It's a no. shame, isn't it? And I think that is perhaps one of the disappointing things is that M.R. James isn't perhaps more mainstream well, now. Well, that's right. Because, you know, you would think possibly that some of his stories would be taught in schools. The writing is very, you know, it's absolutely
2: brilliant writing. Yeah. It's possibly very difficult for modern students, though, to get there. Then again, you know, the students are still taught Shakespeare. Dickens is mm. probably harder to understand than Dickens. Dickens is quite direct in the way he writes, whereas M.R. James, he does love to expound on his his intelligence knowledge. and yeah. his knowledge. That can seem probably quite baffling to people when they're first reading a story. But what I would say to anybody attempting or have desire to read an M.R. James story is just stay with it because it will deliver. It really will deliver and you'd agree with me on this, I'm sure, Lee, read The Treasure of Abbot Thomas.
1: You can skip the first bit in Latin. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's exactly 200 it. words in Latin. Thinking, Am I gonna again? bother reading this? Nah. This
2: is the problem with it, because
1: it's almost like he's, but he's then almost he translates like, it, doesn't he, in the yeah, next yeah. paragraph. So
2: just move on to the translation mm. and go with there. It can seem a bit strange and a bit disjointed and a bit odd, but then suddenly you get into it and you go, Oh, I get this now. Yeah. I get this it is an investigation. They're trying to find this treasure in this church. It's amazing. And mm. it is an amazing story. And casting the runes again and
1: lost hearts. I'd just say go with it because I think once you get your head around it, you'll get into it. Given that they have made so many adaptations, is there any stories that you would like to see adapted? That's a really good question. i tell you what I saw, and I don't know if I shared
2: this with you, mate, a few years ago, because it was on uh, YouTube, I think. There was an animated version of The Haunted Doll's House. Oh, yes, I've seen that. It's very, it's only short, isn't
1: it? Oh, I don't know if I've seen the animated version, If the, if it's all animated. I've seen... Oh no, it's not. And sorry, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's done with puppets, isn't it? A it's done with it. puppets.
2: Yeah. Sorry, you're quite right. The actual man who buys the uh, the buys the doll's house from the from the uh, the antique shop and what have you. That's all live action, and it's the it's the events in the uh, in the doll's house that are animated or puppet mm. puppet based. I thought it was really well done.
1: Yeah, I think I don't know if it's the same guy, but I think Count Magnus has been done.
2: I was going to say Count Magnus. Well, I was just going to say I I don't know any. Adaptation of Count Magnus, and I would like to see that. You know, Canon Alberic Scrabble, but again, it's quite slight. What I would like to talk briefly about as well, mate, though, very very quickly as well, is the influence that M. R. James has had on other writers and other uh, storytellers. And he's, I think, this that you could make links and connections with many people. Really, you, could, you know, even the likes of say someone like Dan Brown. Yeah, you
1: could say. I think for Stephen the, I,
2: King, if you've. Stephen King, cause... indeed.
1: I remember reading The Shining when I was about 13, 14, and, you know, I didn't know Denmark or James then, but what we were talking about before about how you're reading what you think is quite an innocent paragraph, and then it's that one line at the end that really just throws things. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading a bit in The Shining where Jack Torrance is is going to room 237, is it? The mysterious room in the in the hotel. yeah. yeah. I probably won't say it verbatim, but he's describing the room and then the last line suddenly is, the woman in the bath had been dead 40 years or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now I realise that's very M.R. James, you know, the way so you throw you that curveball. So James, mm. yeah. So James, there's no
2: doubt about it. Mm. And I'm sure, like, de was influenced when she wrote Don't Look Now, the creepiness of the surprise at the end, with the, uh, sorry, spoiler alert, with mm-hmm. the, uh, the dwarf. The, the you know the axe with the dwarf. There's so many. I
1: think this. We did make a film, a ghost story that was very Lube, influenced yeah. by M R James, and it came from our love of M R James, didn't it? You with, know, without doubt, that was the time that we were really getting into him. Yeah, in we, the mid two thousands, and uh, we came up with this modern ghost story tale, and we do advertise it as M R James style or influence. Yeah, R. absolutely. R. James, was, and,
2: we, uh, we like to think it's a, a
1: homage to it, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we? and we you know. we made it black and white as a nod to. Whistle and I'll Come to You. I remember so
2: well that, you know, Whistle had such a big impact on you, didn't it? Mm. You know, the the look of it, the feel of it. And it's the purity of it, isn't it, with Whistle and I'll Come to You? It is just such a brilliant thing. Mm. It's bloody creepy. Mm. And, you you know, all he's using, all that Jonathan Miller was using in that was bits of cloth, bits of linen. You know, it totally freaks you out. It does, it works brilliantly. And it's all about. It's all about the suspense, it's all about the, the, the fear of fear itself, in a way. Very clever, I thought.
0: Do you believe in ghosts, Professor? Ghosts? That's rather sticky one, isn't it? I'm not quite certain what you mean. I mean, I'm never quite certain what I mean, invited to believe, when anybody asks me a question like that. I'm not even quite certain what I'm being invited to disbelieve if he comes there. Well, quite with you, old chap. No, well, I mean, you ask me, do I believe in, say, Australia? Well, I know perfectly well what sort of thing I'm being asked to judge. I mean, you all agree what we mean by Australia? Large continent, southern hemisphere, discovered by Captain Cook, four or five large cities, kangaroos, and so on and so on. And given that, given that, one can perfectly well imagine the sort of procedure that one might put in hand to confirm or, on the other hand, to disconfirm its existence. Isn't it quite the same thing with ghosts, is it? I mean, there's no broad consensus about what a ghost is, is there? You've done a bit of a chime on that one. Let's think now. Ghosts. are uh, the spirits of the dead. Uh, the, the survival of the human personality. Ah! Ah, survival of the human personality. Mm. Well, now, <coughs> that's a different question again, really. And uh, it has the grammatical appearance. A real question, but I wonder, does it really, does it really mean anything either? Well, what see we say for the sake of argument that the human personality survives death right right well now but would we say it in the same way that we might say for example that someone survived a train crash mm, yes no but would we yes would we you see i mean <clears throat> we say don't we the pausanias survived the train crash, but was very badly injured by it. Now, we wouldn't want to say that Pausanias survived death, but was very badly injured by it. Would we? I mean, we wouldn't want to say that. Mm. Would we? No, no, no. no. Well, well, clearly here, we have a, a logical difference of usage, in that death, in the sense, is not like other physical catastrophes. I mean, one, one doesn't talk about anyone being very badly hurt by death. Come oh. on, Except possibly the relatives of the deceased. <laughs> but never the victim himself. Excluding, of course, the, the, uh, the special interpretation in which one might say that he had been injured fatally. <laughs> by death <clears throat> or for that matter that she had true true but there are more things in heaven and earth than in your philosophy no no, no. I prefer to put it a different way there are more things in philosophy than a dreamt of in heaven and earth <laughs>
2: going back to my three adaptations I, I would put Whistle in there too and I would put warning into the Curious, I think there. I suppose if we're not including Night of the Demon, because that's just a standalone great thing on its own, I would probably put The Ash Tree.
1: Right. I thought you were going to say Lost Hearts, actually. I was temp- well
2: tempted mm. because it's a little bit melodramatic in parts. It's great, yeah. and the, the hurdy-gurdy kids. They don't look that scary to me, the hurdy-gurdy they don't, kids. They don't. In a in a way, you could see it being remade, couldn't you? Mm. Again, Lost Hearts, I've already said this, but I think Lost Hearts and Treasure of Abbot Thomas, they could be remade so well, you know. And the, t- the two standout short stories that he, he wrote, I think, those two, I really do think they're great. Mm. Interesting that they were, they were almost like throw-away things in his mind. But, yeah. Wow, amazing, Very... isn't it? That, was, that happens sometimes. Yeah.
1: I think finally we could perhaps talk about there has been a bit of a renaissance, an interest in M.R. James stuff over the last ten to fifteen years. Oh, absolutely, um, yes. You know, I mean, it may have been happening well before that, but it's certainly certainly the same time we discovered it in the two thousands that other people seem to be enthusing about it, and obviously with the internet and that, it's more easy to. Find like minded people, and you know, there's Facebook groups, there are uh, they've got Robert Lloyd Parry, of course, doing it, and uh, there's another podcast, a brilliant podcast, Podcast for the Curious. And the adaptations which, um, Gatiss did sort of bring back, didn't he? Well, he didn't actually, no, he, he did his own one, he did, he did, in he did his own, didn't, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah. Which was uh, Crooked House, yeah. And I think following that, they did make uh, number 13 and a view from a hill. And then there was a bit of a lull until 2013 <laughs> when he did track Take Midoff. But there's no plans, I don't think, for another one, which is a big show. No. Mm. Can I give a... Oh, I've got to say this, Lee.
2: I'd like to give a little bit of a heads up for the adaptation of Whistle and I'll Come To You in the daytime TV series Doctor's. Which Superb, yeah. I was really surprised by that. I thought that was that was great. Sort of a Halloween special kind of thing, but it was
1: very true and it paid great homage to um, to MR James. You mm. know really I was to... lucky enough that I did catch it before it it dropped off iPlayer because so many people were talking about it on the uh... On the MR James Facebook pages and stuff, so yeah, it was great.
2: But you know, what's been fabulous as well is we've had a great journey with uh, with MR James, haven't we, mate? And yeah. like you're saying about making haunting image, that was that was a great thing for us to do. You know, and I personally have a lot to thank him for. I've had a great deal of pleasure out of. It sounds a bit strange to say a great deal of pleasure out of some very dark, macabre little horror stories, mm. but it's a great joy in being a little bit scared you know it's and it's human nature and it's it's important you know it's important to have that instinct at times to be a little bit bit spooked a little bit creeped it's called it's being human to
1: explain things. isn't it it's some people are just not into that at all but there is definitely some excitement in it absolutely mm. absolutely and there's a great excitement in the idea of the unknown and i think one thing perhaps we didn't say is that a lot of his tales are moral tales aren't they they are about okay. not being too prideful and and not being greedy, and not being nosy, because, uh, you know, bad things will happen if you do. But, but in, in a way, quite often, the actual,
2: um, punishment, the actual punishment doesn't fit punishment the crime. Yeah, we have said that, yeah, it's true, yeah. It, it's a little bit like the um, the old uh, Amicus um, films, and there was one where Peter Cushing runs a, Beyond the Grave. From Beyond the Grave, thank you. Yeah, when he runs the antique shop. Yeah. Run the antique shop. You know, and someone steals maybe a a watch off him and
1: gets absolutely. Yeah, but in Beyond the Grave, don't forget, someone nicked. Did he nick the medals? Or did. No, there was one story where he pretended that he had the medals, but he just wanted them replaced. Yeah. That was the one where Donald Pleasance and his daughter.
2: That's right, uh, Donald Pleasance.
1: And uh, there's the one where David Warner is very arrogantly bartering with Peter Cushing and offers him a pittance for this mirror. So he deserves it. Then there's the one where the guy swaps the prices of the snuff boxes. Yes. Doesn't (laughs) he? And the fourth one, the Ian Olgavy one, I can't remember what he does. Does he just nick? Well, he can't nick a door, can he? Because that's what he... No. Does he get tempted by the open till?
2: (laughs) He might do it, But
1: he doesn't take the money. So the scene cuts when the till's open. And there's all this money that's up for grabs. And that's why he survives the story in the end, I think. <laughs> but it does seem that the, the punishment
2: is far beyond, you know, like you've been buggered in purgatory <laughs> for the rest
1: <laughs> of <for> eternity. <coughs> yeah. Well, you I know, can see taking, what you're saying, but. but
2: for being vain or being arrogant or something, you know. Yeah. And there is a touch of that with MR James where it, it is, people go through like horrific, horrific experiences <laughs> just because they've just been a bit slightly of
1: slightly poking the nose in.
2: Yeah. yeah, or being a bit of a dick, you know yes. what I mean? It's
1: it's quite funny, really. Brilliant. I wonder if that is uh, there's something about a puritan in James himself. You know that oh, without doubt, without doubt, uh, he felt that even the vaguest or the smallest transgression deserves fire and brimstone. Oh, I've no doubt, listen, as a man,
2: I've no doubt he was a horrendous self-righteous fucking God-botherer.
1: A lot of people who've written about him and knew him think think he was a lovely guy, actually. Um, well, that's
2: that's nice to know.
1: I'm sure there was that element or to him, but uh, I don't know how much like, he lauded it over other people. Absolutely, mm. and this is it. I'm cases like M.R. James, I'm not interested really
2: in the man. I'm interested no. in his work. So, you know, the bottom line is, if he was a bloody self-righteous arse, that's fine by me, I don't really care, you know, and I suppose it goes it goes down the line about this idea of, do you exclude the art because the artist was a dick, you know, the whole Michael Jackson thing, and you, you can't do that, can no. you, because, you know, you wouldn't look at the paintings of Picasso, would you, and you wouldn't mm-hmm. look at so many people in the past, because, you, you know, full well, that there's a litany of, like, great artists, you know, probably Salvador Dali, I heard, was a bit of a Andy Warhol, you know, Mm. Caravaggio was a pedo, you know. So where do you... People don't look at Caravaggio paintings (coughs) and go, I'm not looking at this painting anymore because he was a pedo. You know, obviously not accusing M.R. James of any of these things, but I'm saying that if he was, you know, I'm I'm a non-believer, he was a Christian man, but, you know, part of the fact that he had such faith and such belief in the mysteries of the world, makes his stories even more compelling. And I
1: love it. I
0: absolutely
1: mm, love mm, it. Love yeah, it, love it, love it. Yeah, I do love the religious aspects, you know, the churches and um, some of the characters, them being abbots or vicars or whatever, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's incredible how how many of us who are,
2: let's say, in the loosest sense, non-believers, you know, mm. without going down the route of atheism or agnostic or whatever, but, you know, non-believers in organized religion, are so into, like, things to do with the spiritual world, you know. And a lot of that is based around Christianity. You look at the exorcist of the world, the devil rides out, the the omen, all the dark side, all the M.R. James stuff, all that has very symbolic significance to the uh, Catholic or Church of England symbolism. We're, we're right there. We're right yeah.
1: because it, because it Even gives... seem to be more into it. I don't know if that's the reason. I wonder yeah. whether
2: it's because it feels like it adds weight to the story. It mm. kind of adds weight to
1: yeah. the mythology and the maybe the Maybe the real believers are too scared to go there, you know, and watch things like The Exorcist. Quite uh, possibly. Yeah. So a hugely enjoyable subject, uh, one that is very close to our hearts, as I hope people realise. And... Uh, it just renews my enthusiasm for reading the stories again and uh, discovering even more.
2: Absolutely, mate. And, uh, you know, I could go on into the night talking with you about this. Right into the witching hour and beyond, into the dark recesses of the early hours of the morning, into the dark cloisters of the churchyard and beyond. Wonderful stuff, mate.
1: Yeah, so I hope you've enjoyed listening. I'm sure there are loads of massive Mr. James fans out there, so I do hope that we've done the man justice tonight. We're going to leave it here. You've been listening to the Something Wicked podcast. Please rate us on iTunes and Podbean. And please, if you get a chance, visit our Facebook page and leave comments. Feedback is important to us, so it'd be nice to hear from you. And sleep well, and don't be too disturbed by the rattling in the cupboard in the middle of the night. And don't eat too much slab cake no <laughs>